Hello and welcome to the Boss Gamer Podcast number 12, uh, coming to you the weekend of the 22nd of November this Sunday. Um, you're joined once again by me, Tom. Um, we're here, well, we seem to be pretty regular now, we're week on week, so we'll keep on going forward. And as always, we're going to start with your weekly roundup. The Well, the one and only big news story this week was the PS5 launch, um, kind of coming through with a bit of a murmur, really. Uh I suppose it's pretty exciting for the 50 people that managed to get one of the damn things, but for everyone else it just seems to be a lot of chaos and sad stories. Reports from Amazon of stolen PS5s being swapped out for cat food and bags of rice, um, and also uh, shared pictures of people making sure to wash their PS5 on arrival in the bath. So uh, we'll see how that's, how it goes in the following weeks. We'll be doing our um, boom or bust next week. Um, once we give it a bit of a chance for everyone to ramp up and enjoy the bloody thing. Big news this week coming forward is, really, it seems that all the bullshit out there in the industry is getting torn apart. Firstly, those puzzle game ads for apps that you've seen uh, finally been facing some confrontation from the uh, Advertising Standards Agency. We're seeing some pushback on them, and we will see some bans, um, ones like Homescapes, Gardenscapes, things like that, are uh, finally going to be torn off from the App Store um, those adverts being thrown out. So hopefully we can see some repercussions from them and we won't see these kind of things happening in the future because I'm pretty sure everyone's just fed up with those ads. On the uh, people getting punished for being pieces of shit, EA finally facing fines over the last few weeks. It's been confirmed that the Netherlands are going to be fining them up to a €500,000 a week fine, capping out at €10 million Euros for FIFA for loot box breach of gambling regulations from the Dutch Gambling Authority. I think this is a celebration for everyone. Um, With the files going through in Canada now, I think we're going to see EA really crack down on and hopefully move away from loot box systems into a more fair and balanced system where you can actually get what you want and what you paid for. And lastly, our... Well, um, for all of those who keep up with some of the finance chat on the Bosch Gaming community, you'll be excited to hear that Roblox has filed for an initial product offering. That's right. Roblox is going to be floating itself out there on the market, getting ready to trade in them big oofs. Because, well, it's as part of this, they have released their profits, and so far for the year 2020 up to September, they made $589 million, which already is about a 20% increase on uh, their profits from the year before. And... Apparently, this decision's coming from them trying to raise funds to help battle the increased cost of managing their user base and future development. But in all honesty, how much can it really cost to have the ugliest fucking avatars in gaming? Anyway, that's been your weekly roundup for this week. Um, I am joined by one of your absolute favourites and the boy in the Bosch Gamer community, Martin. Hello, Margaret. Hi. How you doing? (laughs) Good, you're coming through. Yeah, excellent. We've got you loud and clear. So, new little thing we want to start doing, um, as now we're in the double digits, and everyone's kind of been introduced a bit more, is we wanted to get some recommendations from you, Martin. So, I want to hear what have you been playing recently, what's some classics that you always fall back to, and give us free recommendations for everyone out there. All right. So, I've been picking up Horizon Zero Dawn, uh, especially the Frozen Wilds DLC recently. Um, I got Platinum on the normal games and now try to get platinum on the frozen wilds dlc um it's going great 
Um, gameplay is absolutely superb. Um, mm-hmm. You know, running around with a bow and arrow, um, constantly changing weapons that better suit certain types of enemies and things like that. It's always amazing to do. And the story is just incredible. Um, also playing AC Origins, Assassin's Creed Origins, for people that don't know what AC means. Um, so I picked this up again after getting uh, Platinum on Odyssey. Um, this is just a normal Odyssey game mm-hmm. without DLC. So now I've got the AC Origins DLC. So I'm playing through that, try to get a Platinum on that. Then I'll probably go back to playing Odyssey um, and try to get a Platinum on the DLC. Um, and I'm, I've been playing uh, Crash Team Racing Nitro Fueled. Um, again, it's a classic game. Um, obviously, uh, it's a remake of, off of the original on PS1, I believe it was. Maybe it was PS2. Yeah, PS1. PS1, perfect. So, yeah, playing that again. Um, For me, the best uh, crash racing game was actually Crash Team Racing, which a lot of people don't know and don't remember. Um, It was on the PSP, a little bit of a hidden classic, where as you were racing, you would collide into your opposition and join with them in kind of double dash style. Um, So you had this kind of interesting system of, while you're in the lead, you have people behind you playing catch-up by working together, which obviously is a really yep. interesting game mechanic to include because, uh, like, you know, everyone's kind of aware that if you're first in Mario Kart, then you're not technically winning. You're you're not really first um, yeah. because of the blue shell. Yeah. But for this, it, like, if you were in with the pack, then you were kind of in the best position to catch that final lead at the end, which was yeah. really exciting. Mm-hmm. I think it was also on the PS2. I, I think I remember playing it, but not definitely not on handheld. Um, I don't know if they did a port maybe later on onto PS2, but I do remember um, playing Crash Team Racing. Um, definitely with the updated graphics from uh, CTR. Um, and yeah, I mean, classics. I mean, so, I mean, I obviously gave you a, a quick list of, you know, the games I'm currently playing, but classics yeah. that I love and always seem to go back to are probably games like Jack and Daxter, which you can get on the PlayStation Store. Mm-hmm. Um and it's from one to so it's that like one to three and then four, which is um, Jack and Daxter. It's a Jack and Daxter racing game. I think it's like Jack X or something like that. Yeah. Um, so they had the racing mechanics in Jacks two and three because that was yeah, kind of a GTA yeah. clone cross with a platforming adventure game. It it had yeah, really yeah. all of it in it, and then they took that driving and made a game of itself from the June mm. rallies that you'll do um, out in yeah. the wilderness. Yeah. They need to make a Jack Four game that's got all those elements back in it. Well, honestly. I'm pretty sure that's that's uh, you know if you talk to Vaz about that, he will uh, oh, yeah, he'll 100%. drill you for hours on his plans yeah. for a Jacks Four. Um, so I wouldn't worry that'll come eventually. So <laughs> hopping into our topics for this week. Speaking of Vaz, um, we had a post from him earlier this week, um, which a lot of people you know found a bit funny um, mm-hmm. about mums and that kind of hardcore gamer demographic. So. It's, you know, that, you know, mums being this kind of intimidating part of gaming now. Um, yeah. So for a lot of people who don't really know about this, so the largest demographic in gaming or most recent surveys for people who game regularly is coming in women aged 30 through to around 45, which mm-hmm. obviously for anyone listening out there, um, people in our community, it's not the way that we lean. <laughs> I can <laughs> I think we can say that honesty. Um, it's not what we see in our demographics, but... What you're discounting, and a lot of people really like to discount it, is mobile gaming. Um, yeah, 100%. and 
you know, for us, we we get massive response every time we do a mobile game recommendation. Egg Inc. Mm-hmm. has just overtaken everyone in the community since Egg I recommended that a couple of weeks ago. Inc. Oh my gosh, that game is so damn addictive. Honestly, <laughs> I'm hoping that we could play on, I could play on it offline or something like that, just so that, I mean, forget all the random ads and stuff you get. If they had an offline mode that, you know, you could go whilst you're commuting to work, you're underground, so you get no signal at all, you can just continue playing it, that mm-hmm. would just ace everything for me. I'm pretty sure you can. Um, Since, well, I played it years and years ago, it's still going, they're still updating, they've added augmented reality to that, so you can play it on your yeah. uh, on your table and see all your chickens run around. But um, <laughs> if you haven't, didn't see this post or you don't, aren't a part of the community, but you're listening, then go and download Egg Inc. So that's Inc. I-N-C. Uh, it's just... It is the premiere of those like tapper um, waiting games. It just does it yeah. brilliantly. Um, but yeah, so kind of rolling back from that, um, I think there's a big issue in the community around what is classified as a game. So mm. for our parents, things like Candy Crush, Pet Rescue Saga, like these are games. You, yeah, you're playing yeah. a puzzler. You, you know, look at Bubble Bobble. It's the exact same. Th- thing a lot of games are just clones of bubble bobble and um dr mario and tetris things like that these are puzzle games that are seen as classics as hard you know hardcore numbers tetris now still yeah. has the competitive elements to it that they're integrating it's still the best-selling series of all time really because it just always sells whenever they re-release it same for pac-man yeah. same for all of those so why do we disrespect things like candy crush and um, games like that just because they're on mobile I I I think just maybe it's just the stigma um, of having games like like Candy Crush. You know what I mean? Just a normal, just a simple um, sort of around a rearranging of uh, of um, items and clicking on it and then clearing a space. Um, I mean, you have classic games like Bejeweled, even that was on the I think it was on like the old Windows PCs they can mm-hmm. get. That was like a standard game that came all the time. Same yep. with Pinball as well. Um, if anyone ever grew up you know with uh windows like 95 very, very <laughs> exactly exactly so um i think i think it's actually a thing of the game itself rather than it being a mobile phone game because mm-hmm. i mean we have games like um asphalt 9 now i remember playing asphalt 3 when it when it came out and um the game just continued to improve um you now have games like madden mobile um yeah. you have again the classic tetris games and no one's gonna like no one's gonna scoff at playing tetris i mean everyone's played tetris um even kids today play tetris um yeah so yeah i definitely think it's more the stigma of the game itself rather than uh than you know it being a mobile phone game i yeah. mean i remember when i remember me playing candy crush right i thought to myself yeah of course candy crush i mean i can see why it's nice and everything as well but after a while i just stopped playing it my girlfriend carried on playing it until, I, I mean, I don't know what level she is now, but she just kept playing it. And then she played a game very, very similar to it called Toy Blast. Um, and guess you got a very, very high level on that. So, um, Yeah, my maybe, girlfriend maybe, has dangerously rediscovered a, a one that's very similar to Candy Crush with kittens in it. That she, uh, like, she's plumbed hours into that that I could only dream of putting into certain games. Like, she mm. has really, like, she's put the effort into this. And I, I don't think at any point it should be dismissed um but you know i i i've already pissed off a lot of people this week with um you know my blog coming through on uh <laughs> cyberpunk so this week i'm happy to continue pissing people off by saying yeah i i think that you know your mum smashing candy crush on her mobile or whatever game she chooses to play on there when she's sat yeah. around you know waiting for whatever i think that counts i think that it is fair to say that 
they are dominating the industry. And that's yeah, why we're seeing 100%. a lot more marketing towards them. It's a big industry mobile. It's it's starting to overtake. And that's why you see things like xCloud and Stadia like trying to make that move to mobile to see mm-hmm. if they can capture that market and say, yeah, why don't you, you know, you on your phone, you don't want to have to buy a console because you don't understand the controller because it's not something yeah. that you're used to. Here, just play it on mobile. Xbox has yep. just started trialing the um, touchscreen controls for a lot of their games. So, um, yeah, I, I can see this really becoming the future for gaming in a big way, especially as mobiles become more powerful. Oh, but, definitely. I mean, because I remember introducing my mom to, um, I think the first game I introduced my mom to playing was probably Street Fighter, Street Fighter 2 on the SNES. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, I mean, all, I mean, all she did was button mash. A few years later, I introduced her to playing on the GameCube Mario Kart Double Dash, and she couldn't stay on the track. Um, but she did try. Um, and you know, it's one of those games that became really, really complicated for her. But now she, um, she has like a, like a very, very simple game on her phone that she plays. I can't remember for the life of me what it is, but she seems to have fun playing it. Um, and I think, um, sorry, just going back to the demographics between, uh, as in, um, majority of, uh women that play video games are between the age bracket of 30 and 45. I think that's down to, um, I guess, you know, us being millennials and, you know, mm-hmm. people, and our, I guess our parents, we can kind of see why that, that that's the case. Um, because as we've grown up, we've seen um, a lot more women um, get into gaming or playing video games, whether it's with their partners or whatnot. Um, for the life of me, I don't know what the current, uh, what the average age group of our Bosch Gamer group is, our Bosch Gamer community is, but um, I can definitely see um, they're around, you know, sort of like maybe late 20s to early 30s, around that range. That's just, that's just me taking a guess based on the, the interactions we've had. Yeah. Um, so I can definitely see that, you know, gaming's become a lot more accessible to people. Um, it's not, it hasn't just been marketed to men, but women as well. So I can see a lot of women being pulled into gaming in general. Um and so, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's my take on it. I think this is why um, you get a lot of women playing it as well. Um, in fact, even the new Switch Fitness games um, are tailored towards women, um, be they mums or just, you know, women that enjoy gaming or want to get fit and, you know, they have to have a Switch or something like that. So I think all of that is very, very interesting. And, you know, it's just giving an extra level of access for women to uh, play games. Well, you know, we've had these discussions come up um, in the community before um, the discussion about, you know, what's games to introduce girls into gaming. I don't think it should be really looked at that way. Like, my, you know, my girlfriend doesn't isn't interested in smashing around in Doom, but she took Animal Crossing and she stormed mm-hmm. for it. And I, I, I just can't commit to a game like that. I just, it's yeah. just not for me. And she's gone and picked up a, like Sonic Mania and things like that because you know those are games that i necessarily wouldn't pick up because i'm you know not quite interested in them sonic mania obviously is a really good game but it just wasn't mm-hmm. one that was on my radar and yeah, yeah so i think there is this kind of stigma definitely within um the gaming community and it is an it's an old kind of old boys club kind of ideal that's existed for a long time in nerd culture and it's going to be kind of the it, it always comes with a challenge every time you talk about this kind of stuff you can kind of expect that pushback of oh no, but 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 it's like no no no, just yeah. it's not guys and girls games. Like we, the reason that someone like Ubisoft will take the effort to add a female version of the main character in Assassin's Creed is because they know that they have a big enough demographic, enough women who want yeah. to play this series. Yeah. And it's not a pandering thing; it's offering a product to the to women because 
they're part of the consumer base and they make yeah, up yeah. just as big of a proportion to justify doing that. That's not an easy endeavor to say, oh yeah, the game will happily switch you at any point between the man and female <laughs> character. That's a huge endeavor for them. And so to yeah. do that is significant. And so it has to be, there has to be a big enough market out there. And anyone who says there isn't is just lying to themselves. Um, oh, 100%. But what I wanted to go with um, this week is kind of an idea of what games you can use to introduce your mum into gaming. So for me, my mum had years and years ago, you know, been in the arcade on the old 8-bit. So I mm-hmm. didn't realise how good she was until we found an old arcade. And she kicked the shit out of me on track and field. <laughs> Holy fuck. <laughs> oh, wow. she absolutely it took her one round and she completely got all her muscle memory back for playing the fucking triple jump on track and field absolutely oh, killed damn. me at it. so um introducing her into gaming i think the first probably big um like triple a style game she ever tried was gears of war obviously not an easy one but for because i played it a lot i could kind of support her and she just would happily run in and chainsaw them because she picked up a mechanic that worked for her that, yeah. that she understood the controls for because she just wasn't experienced with two two stick and third person um, perspectives. So mm-hmm. what I kind of have built up, and I know you can see the notes on this, is the kind of practice for moving your mum, who's maybe played a couple of arcade games, played a bit of Donkey Kong or whatever when they were like younger, and how to move them into more modern gaming. So yeah. first thing is twin stick control. Uh, so that. The typical joystick was just one, one joystick and buttons, you know. It's a very two-dimensional yep. system. So what I wanted to kind of think about was the two-stick shooters. So one that absolutely got my mum into it because it was so simple and quite fun to play and really quick to just bam, 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 keep going if you failed. Um, mm-hmm. And I cannot, it's unfortunately, no, it's lost to the uh, Xbox Arcade um, indie arcade scheme they did years ago. And it was called I Made a Game with Zombies in It. And I don't know if you've ever heard of this at all. Right. Um, but it was a two-stick, uh, top-down shooter, up to four-player, all on the same console. And you just ran around dodging zombies and shooting them. And as long as one of you was alive, everyone else could spawn back in um, within a certain time. And that was a great way of teaching those two-stick shooters. Because it's a 2D environment, so there's not mm-hmm. any kind of directional things in terms of you need to look at that exact place. You know, if you get lost, it's easy to reset. Just take your thumb off, and it resets back to it. Just stops wherever you pointed it last, and okay. that's the kind of limiting the number of dimensions allows that practice of precision control and learning to kind of manipulate both sticks at the same time. And you'll see this a lot, even with people who are younger who don't really who haven't really played games. Is this confusion between moving and looking at the same time? Yeah, um, and yeah. So that I, I can. For you, any big top-down two-stick shooters? Um, not off the top of my head, but um, speaking of two-stick shooters, there was one that was on the Google Play Store. Um, I thought it was called Judge Dredd. It was definitely a Judge Dredd game. Again, same principle where you are... It's a top-down um, shooter. You're, um, you play as Judge Dredd, and you're basically getting swarmed by zombies. And, you know, it's got one very simple analog control for you mm-hmm. to... Um, for you to move around with and the other button is to just shoot that's all you're doing and you pick up items that fall um you don't need to do any extra looking around or anything like that the camera moves with you yeah um so yeah i can definitely see myself introducing my mom to that um and again i think the reason why my mom sucked at playing games like uh 
Mario Kart was because, you know, maybe too many buttons to focus on, you know, having to hold down A to go, B to break, yeah. drifting and whatnot. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, so I think too that, you know, simplifying the games for people, we get them into it. Yeah, so obviously working on button functions and m- n- learning the face pads, essentially, I kind of want to look at rhythm games and also quick time events. So mm-hmm. this is about building reaction times, learning the face, you know, the placement of the face buttons, getting that going, especially you don't want to swap console too much. So a really good example for this is for your triggers, um, you know, R1, R2, um, RB, RTs, like Guitar Hero on a controller is played left to right, L like left trigger, left bumper, right bumper, right trigger, and then yeah. A. So if you put that on medium, you're just using the triggers. And what that then builds is that trigger time and that ability to quickly know which one is which and to be able to know where they are and get that feel for it. Uh-huh. Um, that was That's a big one to kind of teach that because that's a lot of people forget about that is, you know, if, you've ever, if you're a console gamer, a um, little test you can do is if you hold your hands up in front of you, kind of side on and flick your fingers as fast as you can back and forth, like trying to move them, you'll notice whichever finger is your shooting one even if you're left-handed, I found this with people who are left-handed. Eve was the one that you use for shooting is always yeah. quicker from shooter games, and it's just it's just the trained muscles in your hand. So that's something that um you know so things like Guitar Hero using a controller for those quick time events. I a big one is Heavy Rain was fantastic for this. Until Dawn's good, um, you've got now the Dark Pictures series, uh, Man of Medan on Game Pass. And um, pretty cheap now that the sequels come out. And what uh, the advantage of those is is that the story is compelling enough. It's you know that mm-hmm. kind of role playing element. Heavy Rain was the one that really got my mum into narrative stories. So she got really involved in my decision making, and she was yeah. <laughs> got really tense about what I was doing. Like, well, wait, no, no, if he does this, and so that's a good one because those just then they can see the way that their decisions matter. And then, you know, it's not a, oh, you missed it, so it rolls your back 10 minutes. It just powers through. And if you fuck it up, you fucked it up. And obviously Mm -hmm. that is frustrating to lose in that way, but the the game always continued on. The story continues in those, even if you die. And that then gives them an opportunity to have weight behind it. And then it's forcing that learning experience. Like, oh, you you almost lost that character. You better make sure you get it next time. And it's like, okay, I need to really drill in and focus on this so i'm ready yeah but um for you any like button uh response like kind of quick button games you go with oh all right so that one um all games i've played uh, so all right so first things first games like heavy rain um i do not like just because everything's all based around quick time events which you know i can't deal with um so unfortunately, I haven't got any sort of games that I can come up with of my head that I've played before that I can suggest for um, for mums or you know first time gamers to uh, pick up just you know learn. Well, another alternative um, is to go with um, fighters, two D fighters as well, because that as well kind of transfers from old arcade skills. You can just lay the controller down, yeah. face button, you know. Oh, perhaps the Scott uh, Pilgrim game on the Switch then. <laughs> oh, Scott Pilgrim game is yeah, yeah that's a fantastic that brawler. And obviously, if you're playing that cooperatively as well, and you're both aiming towards a goal, then you can help to carry that forward and, um, you know, kind of support what they're doing and, you know, pace help to pace the game there. 
Yeah, I mean, a classic is obviously Streets of Rage, which I think I have on the Sega Mega Drive that you guys got for me for my birthday. So, yeah, we uh, got you a little treat, didn't we? Yeah, that was great. So, um, yeah, I mean, even games like that, because the Sega Mega Drive only has, what, three action buttons and then the D-pad. So, mm-hmm. again, not a lot of thinking to do there. I think out of the three, you can, you, I mean, you use two the most, which I think are the A and B buttons anyway. So, uh, yeah. Perhaps even something like that. Yeah, and um, you know, there's starting to be a lot more of those kind of rhythm reaction platformers. So a two D platformer is a good way to go as well. Something like Celeste, obviously being the kind of top end in technical for that. Um, if you look at something like Braid, obviously being a bit older, it could be more accessible. Sonic, obviously being recognisable, is a good one to jump into. But Sonic has always had yep. this kind of difficulty curve to it that isn't really user friendly. It was a coin killer, like even though it you yeah, know, was designed definitely. for console, it still seemed to be a coin killer for some reason, um, just because of this style of the time it came from. Um, but yeah, so a 2D platformer as well is a good way to go for that. Um, the next stage of this process that I want to pitch to us, and I will just have this next stage, I think we may come back to this in the future, this topic, and um, see how we kind of progress from that. Mm-hmm. Um, first person puzzlers. And I see a lot of people talk about Portal as a really good one for teaching, and oh I, man, I can't get into Portal at all. <laughs> I can't. I can never agree with that. I think Portal is a terrible one for teaching people games because it is infuriating. It's all about quick reactions and responses. It really assumes that you are practiced in shooters and you can yeah. swing one eighty while flying through the air and pop a target um, with the correct Portal as well. Make sure you find pull the correct trigger. I I just cannot recommend that for a teaching tool. Uh, Especially not with people who aren't aren't experienced, or who already have that barrier to entry. That maybe they're like, oh, I'm not really sure if it's right for me. I wouldn't recommend Portal for that. Um, some examples: so uh, the Visitor, fantastic puzzler that came out recently. Um, mm-hmm. That you know, it's it's more about understanding the mechanics, and it's just to get practice with moving objects in a 3D space. There, um, Turing test um, came through. That's on Game Pass at the moment, I'm, and that was a very small indie game. It's really, really cheap. You can get it on Steam, pick it up really easily. And what right. these games are about is just small puzzles. So it's about going in, solve the puzzles, and understand how t- objects work within that 3D environment and um, the camera controls within that. And so it's about having these slower-paced puzzle games that give them a chance to grasp control. There's no high pressure. Oh, suddenly you've got to do this, this, this really quickly. Yeah. And it builds up these timers using traditional puzzling um, in the same way that you you know would solve a logic puzzle in your head. Um, so I think that's the better way to go for teaching that 3D space. Um, for yourself, any puzzlers? Um, I don't know, does uh, Crash Bandicoot count as one? <laughs> <laughs> no. Which I... <laughs> Um, I mean, it obviously, obviously it's, a, it's a platform. It's not, for, it's not first person, but it's a platformer. It has got a bit of puzzling. Uh, was it... Uh, puzzle solving in that game anyway especially when you know have to go around uh trying to smash every box and you know figure it out a strategy or smash these boxes i think i feel like you've completely missed the entire effort of this teaching exercise martin and i, I feel sorry for your mum in this if she'd like to attend <laughs> um my school of um gaming for parents then uh i'll send her my card um no 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 100 days get frustrated and I mean, I mean, honestly, play, me so me playing games like Crash Bandicoot again. I get frustrated at Crash Bandicoot. Like, Fuck it, that it, it helped. It helped me develop like you know, like the very very soft skills they need in order to control a character in any game. Um, 
But then I feel so, like you you remember Crash Bandicoot when you were young, and obviously it's very different coming in as a you know as a young person wanting to push yourself in it and learning it as a skill then, as opposed to learning as an adult. And this is the idea of this: is how can we get adults playing? I think this. I think what we'll do. We need to come back to this in the future. Um, I yeah. know this is something that you know is going to be really important as we kind of expand the community and expand out gaming. Essentially, needs to expand out into these new markets because it is becoming. Mm the mainstream in terms of entertainment uh, at the moment with cinema <laughs> shut down tv um starting to fall apart on their filming we're g- gaming is just becoming the storytelling mechanic um you know definitely definitely so agree with that i think we'll see a lot more support for that and i think this is the way to go in terms of how we continue that momentum so this week um as it's you i thought i'd treat yeah. you um, okay and we talk about some of the best Dragon Ball Z games. Um, Boy. So from I've uh, this week just finished Kakarot. Um, I know it's a bit slow. I picked it up a bit late. Um, we mm-hmm. have to play a lot of games. Um, but I picked it up. I loved it. Uh, I thought it was a brilliant way of retelling the story. Mm-hmm. Um, I like what looking back at They even referenced loads of odd stuff from Dragon Ball and... Um, filler episodes that were just fantastic to go and play through those kind of bits. Very clunky. If you if you've not played Japanese RPGs like RPGs before, you might not like the kind of clunky cutscene bits that aren't really cutscenes and the lip syncing not matching up and yeah, yeah. So I w- <laughs> I don't know how much I can recommend it if you're not a fan of Dragon Ball Z. Uh, probably not at all. Um, it is a big fan fan service, really. Yeah, that's, 100% it is. That's all it's there for. Um, but what I wanted to do, coming off the back of this, is to have a discussion with you about what, first of all, what do you think makes a good Dragon Ball Z game? And I think, firstly, we need to define the aspects of Dragon Ball Z that make it work well for gaming. Um, all right. Firstly, I think the fact that for, well, everyone just has fucking superpowers with named attacks oh, specific yeah. to yeah. them, first all of all. Right off the bat. Like that's just Street Fighter. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, every two D fighter adaptation of Dragon Ball Z is just just works um, in yeah. that kind of sense because you know these are over designed, overpowered, kick the shit out of each other and take everything down with it. Characters blow up planets, yeah. And so yeah, that's easy to translate. You know, everyone wants to just go in and kick the shit out of each other. Um, you know, and recreate these fights that you love, or just see if you can decide which character would have, you know, that didn't get to fight each other, who's going to be better, who's going to win. Um, for me, always going with that pick of Cell and Cooler. That's always my yeah. two man duo. Um, just because, you know, they never got to represent together in the show. So, <laughs> um, I see. Mine's always, uh, mine's probably, I'm very, very biased towards uh, shorter characters. So, Kid Gohan. I wonder why. And, and uh, <laughs> Kid Gohan and Krillin. Um, you know, just especially when it comes to um, games like the Budokai series, which I absolutely love to this day, and wish they made another Budokai type game. Um, and yeah, you know, I mean, just the, just because of their stature, just you know, having the ability for them to dodge attacks or miss attack without even trying, just you know, them being in their in their normal stance, uh, attacks just flying over their heads yeah. and whatnot. That was that was always fun to uh, fun to do. Um, I think for me, what makes a very good Dragon Ball Z game, first off, is um, as I agree with what you said, um, the focus on characters' signature fighting styles and movesets. 
Um, I mean, who doesn't like playing as Vegeta and hearing Gallic Gun or playing as uh, as uh, Gohan and doing the fame, the infamous, oh, the famous, sorry, not infamous, the famous uh, father son Kamehameha? I mean, yeah. that was iconic in the anime and seeing it in the games as well, and almost every iteration of, iteration of the game mm-hmm. has been a cool thing to do. Um, I mean, there are times during the cutscenes as a, as a kid where, you know, I put down a controller as they're going, as, as they're doing the movesets, me doing the movesets and finishing off, like, like just, you know, destroying my cousins of the game. <laughs> and then obviously them running out of the room crying or whatnot because <laughs> I absolutely clowned them. Yeah. Um, also them being fast-paced actions. Um, every Dragon Ball Z game I've played when it came to fighting, the fighters, they've been slow. It's always fast-paced, very, very similar to the to the anime, especially when it came to, you know, being able to teleport behind enemies um, as and counter-attack. Um, and also, you know, having certain tactics that you do. So for me, for example, when I played the Budokai series, um, if a short character is on the ground, they um, they get hit less um, by the opponent's movesets. Whereas if you um, fly into the air, mm-hmm. they get hit all the time. 100% of the uh, hits will, will land. Um, also, um, you know, the transformations and the key management as well with certain skills, you have to have enough key to do it. Um, so for example, if it's something like dodging behind dodging behind an opponent to then, you know, dish an attack or even do um, a special attack. Um, yeah. Being able to have sufficient key to do those, uh, those attacks or those movements is very, very important. And mm-hmm. it's not something that you can easily spam. You do have to recharge over time. Um, you do have you do gain it by you know hitting opponents as well things like that. So again, that's another level to the game which I absolutely love. And other games, other subsequent games, have been borrowed from that, like um, the Naruto series. If anyone's ever played Naruto series, yeah. Um, so yeah, like I said, I mean my favorite um, series has always been Budokai. Um, again, the fighting styles, the fighting is very very similar to uh, the Dragon Ball Z Fighters Z games. Um, obviously the Fighter Z games have been amped up to crazy levels where everything's just so fast paced on the screen and you know you actually mm-hmm. have to pay attention to the frame frame uh frame counts and whatnot. <laughs> um but yeah, I think overall that's what makes a that's what makes a Dragon Ball Z game work well. Yeah. Just all those elements and having a a good balance of those elements. Um and you know, having a character that works for you. I mean, it might not necessarily be Goku, who is like say the box standard character that everyone has to play as. Mm-hmm. Um, but learning other characters like um like Freezer, for example, Cooler that you mentioned, for example, um that's always fun to do. And you know, having developing your own unique style of playing um with them or yeah. as them. Um, so we, uh, you know, I put together a quick little list and you know, you've gone and you've actually named a couple that I put down for possibly the best DBZ games. Um, mm-hmm. So the Budokai Tenkaichi series, obviously there are there are as many iterations of that as there are stars in the universe. Like you've got the Budokai series, you've got the Tenkaichi series, you've got the Budokai Tenkaichi series, and it, yep. like on different platforms they all played differently. Like the PSP version was... Um, Budokai 3 was very different to the PlayStation versions, but mm-hmm. uh, you know it was still a fantastic game in its own right. And th- that series is just so extensive. If you play one, you're like, oh, I like this, but I don't quite like that part of it. I wish they did it differently. Yeah. Just you can just grab another one, and it will just yeah, exactly. it will do that bit just slightly differently. And you know, 
I think the one that me and I played a lot when I was younger was probably mm. um, Tenkaichi 2, I think it was. Mm. Um, because it had the open world exploration in single player, and that pushed forward into the multiplayer in terms of your unlocks. Yeah. So you'd unlock transformations through the single player, and then they'd become playable. And you got to yep. play through all of the films and secondary content like that. Yep, I do think it's interesting that with the Tenkaichi series, literally games like Xenoverse and Kakarot all have that same sort of game mechanic where it went from being uh, sort mm-hmm. of 5D or 2D to now uh, 3D, full 3D, being able to actually like fight around the actual uh, location rather than, than you being you know sort of boxed in into, yeah. into a space. Yeah, uh, um, Xenoverse 2, I'm big shout out to that in terms of creating your own character. The online scene for that competitively is still huge. Like mm. People, you can see, if you go on YouTube and just search for Xenoverse 2 montage, people go and they create unique montages playing with trash characters and kicking the crap out of everyone. And it's fantastic because there's so much customization down to a really fine level in terms of abilities you use, um, like your stats and how you want to play those. As an RPG, it's really intense in that way. And so you see people doing really unique stuff with it. So full respect to Xenoverse 2, and it definitely played a big part in Dragon Ball Z Kakarot being what it is. Obviously, that's only single player. Um, Currently, the DLC is coming through to add Super onto the end of it, and Mm -hmm. they've added the Dragon Ball Z card heroes onto it. I... I, I'm not touching that. I like, that's, that's outside of my domain, really, in terms of collectible card games. Uh, maybe one day we'll get some TCG chat on here, but um, that's uh, let us know. If you'd like to hear some TCG chat um, on here, then let me know, and I'll find someone who knows on what what, it, what the fuck that shit's about. Um, uh, yeah, so I think that that's kind of the 3D space. Um, you mentioned Fighters Z. Well, yeah. So here's well, the, I say is Fighters Z. Is it yeah. Fighters Z or Fighter Z or Fighters? Because I always, I, when it was being published first, I saw the title, I was like, it's Dragon Ball Fighters. And then I was like, no, it's, it's Fighter Z. I was like, it's Fighter Z. Yeah. I prefer Fighters and just say the Z is an S, but whatever. Um, obviously, <laughs> fantastic visuals on that game. It looks beautiful. That, that yep. art is the finest fucking shit. Pixel art has just come so far in taking those hand-drawn slices and just making them look so immaculate. And um, that game rewards you for playing through the story and your fights traditional to how those characters fought in the series with those dramatic finishes, those big moments. And it has that competitive scene taking on like Street Fighter and uh, Tekken at this point. Um, it's It's just fantastic. And they're still adding more characters um, like Master Roshi added recently, um, mm-hmm. who, who just completely revamped the way the game was played. These new characters come through very unique playstyles between all the characters. So you're kind of focusing on different things um, with each of them to really unlock their potential that, in the way that they play. Um, and I think that's a great aspect of um, the game design for that, to have that balance. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, I mean, if you look at even the top, actually like the top, five um Dragon Ball Z games of all time in terms of sales alone. You have Dragon Ball Xenophers at number one, five million um units sold. Mm-hmm. Um Dragon Ball uh, Xenoverse two, um again five million units sold. Yep. Um Dragon Ball Fighter Z, five million there. Mm-hmm. Um and then Dragon Ball Z Budokai, uh three point five million 
units sold. Um, and that was that's so, big for when like that came out. Like think about that yeah. as a PS2 game. Like that was huge numbers back then. Um, yeah. So I like I. I don't see an end to Dragon Ball Z games. I think, oh, definitely not. I think Kakarot's kind of sealed the market off in terms of single player. I don't know. If, I think they'll just keep capping off on top of that. You know, once all the yeah. Super DLCs on, they may do a Dragon Ball Z Kakarot, uh, Super Kakarot, where they bundle it all together in one. Um, yeah. I'd, you know, maybe they'll take it further and go do back, go back and look at Dragon Ball from that. Maybe integrate so it integrates currently into the story of Xenoverse because like they want to play into that, and they picked up a lot of the expanded lore and um and just content, and so it'd be good to see how they evolve that into an even larger experience. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Right. Um. Just last note on our kind of DVZ. I just wanted to get your um your favourite Dragon Ball Z moment, either from one of the games or when you're playing or just from the show? Oh, okay. I'll go from show, then um, then games. So, from the show, my favourite bit was probably um, when Goku first turns Super Saiyan. And this is off the back of, obviously, Krillin getting killed by a destructive mm-hmm. disc that obviously the technique was stolen by Frieza and then obviously he got killed by Frieza and Goku just goes absolutely nuts and like this is Goku at, at his angriest he's ever been probably and absolutely dished um so that was that was that was absolutely that was amazing yeah. I, I I think you know a lot of people kind of remember that moment that that for me I remember having watched Dragon Ball Z like live week through week as a kid. We went to yeah. fucking Spain for two weeks <laughs> the week that was happening. Oh, I God. have never, for- I never forgave my parents for that. I-, I came back from Spain and I was like, so what happened? My cousin's like, oh my God, you wouldn't fucking believe it. It was the most amazing fucking <laughs> thing you've ever seen in your life. It's never going to be that good again. I was like, fuck. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's... <laughs> so... Yeah, I, yeah, big moment. Um, for, I, I, I want to recommend if you are a fan of Dragon Ball Z, or even if you're not, I, I'm trying to get my girlfriend into watching it at the moment. What I've used is Dragon Ball Z abridged, like early on, oh, very clunky. Hilarious. It's like 12 yeah. years old at this point in the early episodes. Yeah. But the yeah. new stuff, the last two series, that it competes with the show like a hundred percent. Can ca- yep. take on any the, the show, the games, any media, it can take them on. Um, so big yeah, shout 100%. out to that. So highly recommend it. Um, moving. Yeah, and- <laughs> for the moment, oh sorry, just 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 to add the moment, the game moments for Dragon Ball Z best um, mm-hmm. game on Dragon Ball Z is has got to be the Father Son Kamehameha. It just looks so epic when you uh, when you like blast off or you're charging it. I think any um, any beam struggle in any yeah. of the games is like probably um, Kakarot is really hard to pull off because they made mm-hmm. ability use so fast to keep the pace. But yeah. Budokai Three, you were. You had to twist both sticks in yep. inwards, and yep. you just see people drop the controller and just be like trying to get compete. And like I, I to this day, <laughs> that is just I'm pretty sure that's where I get carpal. Like I'm gonna have carpal tunnel syndrome when I'm older, and I blame it on that. Like I, used to, oh. I used to knock the controller out of my cousin's hands. <laughs> just so no, that that, that's cheap, man. Just because you, just cause you ain't no, no, shit no, 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 compared no. to your cousin. <laughs> no, it, it, it you dead eye. So you... 
you would they'd be playing like they'd be like oh i'm super uh, you know i'm super saying free goku dropping the ultimate kamehameha and you'd be like krillin <laughs> dro- you'd be like, or yamcha dropping a kamehameha and you'd be like dead eye staring them and you'd have to <laughs> and because of the power difference they made it so you had to be better at that yeah so the 100%. weaker characters were weaker so you had to beat them at that fucking rattle and when you fucking did oh God, the look the look you would get was worth every penny like that's like you don't 100%. get in many games um when you beat someone and that is fucking beautiful yeah moment so uh moving on to our final topic uh probably a bit of a briefer one for us so microsoft mm-hmm. uh they announced this week that uh obviously with the purchase of bethesda they won't be making bethesda games exclusives Good news for all you PlayStation owners out there. You can all take a sigh of relief. You will be able to buy Skyrim again. Um, and uh, Elder Scrolls Six when it does finally come out um, and we see more than just a video of a mountain, um, then you know, you'll be able to get that. Um, the statement from them was that they wanted to make sure that for Bethesda games coming in the future and the current stuff, that the best way to play was through Game Pass and xCloud. Do we have any idea what the fuck that's meant to mean? <laughs> I'm no idea. I I, mean, we've the, we've the... got some mixed marketing messages from Xbox. Like they they historically yeah. are really bad at like getting their marketing right. But this this could have been their moment to lay the fucking smack down and be like, yeah, we're gonna yeah they're not exclusive, but guess what? We're getting all the DLC for free, all built in, everything. You're going to have to pay extra on PlayStation or all this shit. You want fucking Elder Scrolls 6 on the Switch? We're not going to make it in HD. Yeah. You're going to get low and just like... And they're just like, yeah, it's going to be best on Game Pass and xCloud. How? See, the only way I can see that working is if they do something like... Um, something akin, akin to what it did for um, Mass Effect, where it's like, okay, maybe with the upcoming Elder Scrolls game, um, whatever decisions that you made in previous games would then, you know, would then sort of have some sort of effect on maybe on NPCs, maybe the way NPCs interact with the world or something like that, based on your past achievements on previous games. Yeah. Um, so if it's something like that, especially in a new Elder Scrolls uh, game that's coming out, something like that. That would also shut out PS5 with that, you know, backwards would, issues in a way. It would, I, but it is, it is what it is, right? <laughs> but that, that, that to me, you, I don't feel like you can really justify that elder scrolls 6 is gonna be huge however mm. you however that lays out it's got to be huge and to also implement a whole like open world games worth of experiences to affect that that's impossible like that's that's breach not impossible at this point yeah. like i'm like yeah. let's not get our expectations too high like considering oh, no, fallout no. 76 i know i'm gonna get in shit for bitching shit not being good enough again but like i my question here is, what the fuck does that mean, though? To say that it's going to be the best way to play, like XCloud, I'm I'm enjoying it in beta. Are they so maybe they're going to have dedicated Azure servers just for XCloud, and mm. so it will be an easy way, the best way to play because you can just jump on and off and get that experience. And it's going to be maybe it's going to be a huge fucking download, like a couple of hundred gigs, like you know, yeah. they're like yeah, they turn around like yeah, it's five hundred gigabyte download. And everyone's like, "Well, fuck! I can't play that one." Or it's on XCloud. Yeah. Or it's XCloud, and you can launch it. In, like you can launch it in twenty seconds. And everyone's like, yeah. "Well, cause me to play it on fucking XCloud." So unless they do that, in which case the Azure servers are going to be on fire the moment mm-hmm. that game comes out. I d- uh, that's probably the only way to really justify that. 
Yeah, I think so. As well as what you said earlier on with, um, you know, um, having um, exclusive content for like, cheap, either cheap or free. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with uh, PlayStation 5 and Switch, you obviously have to um, maybe pay a bit extra for that. That's something that could easily be done. Yeah, um, we'll see I that. I think that's a good way to go. Um, only thing I'd say to caveat that is obviously not making the PS5 and Switch versions or whatever other versions feel like uh, an incomplete game. If you know what I mean. Yeah, no, of course. I, I I would never justify that. I think the part of the Game Pass and its cloud thing that I, you know, I'm a big proponent of is the fact that it's consumer friendly. Uh, that's mm-hmm. my that's why I'm a big supporter of the way Microsoft is moving. Um, but yeah, I I would never just I'd see that. I what, what I think is free access to the kind of DLCs moving forward, which is part of the Microsoft Studios anyway, is that these ongoing mm-hmm. developments is mostly included. But like we see a lot with the Call of Duty games, PlayStation have always put themselves forward to get that early access, exclusive yeah. maps, exclusive yeah. zombie stuff. Maybe we'll see some exclusive stuff on Xbox, you know, some, you know, especially designed events that, you know, play on to maybe other Xbox titles and referencing things like that. We'll see. Look into Elder Scrolls 6, like, we don't even know what this game's going to be like. We've not oh, seen no any of it. We nobody's talking about it anymore. Like, I, we saw a video of a mountain, and then they brought out Fallout seventy six. Like, I don't <laughs> think there is any trust in the capacity of Bethesda to bring this out and it be the masterpiece everyone expects. You know, looking back on just the relationship between Bethesda and Xbox as well, Fallout four on the Game Pass specifically had an issue that meant it wouldn't mm. run. The, the game would crash, and it was just because of the version on Game Pass was different, and they'd done something that meant the game crashed. You could People were losing save files. I, I am oh, very, very sceptical of how this is going to move forward. I'm excited to play Skyrim again, <laughs> as, as everyone has. Um, I can't wait to play it on xCloud um, on my phone. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, there is a mobile version out there for Skyrim on tablets, um, but I can't wait to play it on my phone, um, just on the toilet. Um, going around um, <laughs> yeeting people with um, with your dragon shouts. Uh, yeah, just to attack the chickens, right? <laughs> yeah, man. I'll always fuck with them chickens. Um, you know, maybe they say that on X-Cloud and Game Pass, there's mod integration for it, you know? Um, See, that's exact. I, I had that exact thought just this second as well. Because um, obviously PC... mod integration be seamless. PC, it's like if you're a PC owner at this point, like you've you probably got Game Pass because Windows 10 comes with Xbox app installed on it, um, game as part with Game Pass installed. So you might as well just pay and get all the games mm. like Age of Empires because of that. So to turn around to them and say, well, because it's on Game Pass, you can't mod it, or XCloud, you can't mod it. What they should do instead is, as Bethesda started doing over the recent years, they've got their kind of supported um, creators community. Mm-hmm. and what it was was about letting people buy mods and support modders that way um, strangely rolling back to Roblox from the fucking weekly roundup um, Roblox offers this service Minecraft has been doing this so maybe what they'll do is support modding through X- through Game Pass and through xCloud because these are supported mods that you choose whether you want to use them when you run it on xCloud and then you can play it on Xbox and it is that shared save you know carry on where you left off phone xbox pc all the same mods all the same saves just keep playing Mm -hmm. it's just you're playing with a different controller and that i think is going to be the way that they could define this they could really set the tone for the future of gaming 
Um, I know God, it gets thrown around so much with the way it, with a lot of um, the marketing from Microsoft, but that yeah. is very much future to say, look, we are integrating creator content, not just in the idea that you can install it easily, but we'll run it for you on our servers. Right? That that could really define the X, xCloud as this kind of basis for the future of games moving forward. Yeah, and I think that would work really, really, really well if it's implemented in that fashion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh God, yeah, we... I think, you know, at this point, Fallout's, uh, you know, Elder Scrolls 6, what, come on, let's put some numbers on. What year do you think Fall, uh, Elder Scrolls 6 is going to come to come to us? Oh, maybe 2020, I, I can say, 2023 is going to be an early guess, it'll be an early estimate. Yeah, I'm seeing, I'm seeing initial version 2023 and then slow development and redesign mm. over about two, three years. Same as they've done with Sea of Thieves. And I think we'll see progressive content, maybe an evolving world. And obviously, if yeah. you, you know, and do that as, you know, possibly as a DLC, unless you have Game Pass, in which case it's all just there and it just keeps evolving yeah, naturally. Yeah. And um, yeah, I can I can see them playing off that, especially with xCloud, that makes a lot of sense, have that evolving mm-hmm. world. But mm-hmm. yeah, I just think we need to wait and see until we get some actual hard fucking footage of gameplay and know what's yeah. going to happen with this. It's all speculation, but yeah. Re- the big message here is that Microsoft need to get that marketing message stra- straight. They need to square up on what they're doing. They keep saying this best way to play, best way to play. It's like, but, but why? Define that. Define why that is. Mm. Well, I, I think, you know, <laughs> we'll come back to this in 2023. Oh, um, we'll never come back. <laughs> when Elder Scrolls Six has been delayed again, um, I think it'll, it'll go the way of Cyberpunk and it'll never come out. Um, yeah, Elder Scrolls Six. Like Elder Scrolls Six coming out same day as Cyberpunk twenty seven seven. Put it now. <laughs> put, put a pound on at the bookies, boys. We're going. It's oh. my. That's my lock of the week. We're exactly. going. Tom said it here first. <laughs> yeah, just to stir up the Cyberpunk fans even more. Go, yeah, go fuck yourselves, boys. And uh, <laughs> on that note, that's the end of this week's Bosch Game and Podcast. All right, then. <laughs> uh, and the last probably <laughs> following that. Um, <laughs> I want to thank you very much for joining me this week, Martin. Oh, thanks for having me on. I want to thank all of you out there for listening. Uh, Remember, you can find us on Facebook, on the Bosch Gamer Community community Group, and on the page. We keep posting up there with the blogs are coming out fast and furious, and um, you can keep up on all of that. Or find us at Bosch underscore Gamer on Instagram, Twitter, and Twitch. We're streaming there nearly every night, and uh, we've got community events coming up, haven't we, Margaret? What's end of this week? Uh, What are we playing? Yes, we have. End of this week, I think it's going to be another Among Us. Um, but there have been some showings for uh, Fall Guys, so we will see how we can facilitate that. Yeah, everyone with their PS4s burning holes in their like entertainment units, they want to just oh, give them one last yeah. hurrah. Will a bit of Fall Guys or um, Among Us? The best way to find out what it's going to be is get involved on the community page, or you can join us on Discord, and all of the links to that is available on all of our other social. Um, get on there and find us, Bosch Gamer, on Discord, and join us. And you can take part and be a part of the stream. Um, we'd love to see you there and have a lovely week.